Welcome to Show Your Scars with me, Jordan Angeli, a look inside the journey back from a devastating injury. Although we may not choose for this to happen to us, we appreciate who we become in the process. Now, let's dive into this week's episode as we share our strength and show our scars with pride. What's up, Show Your Scars? Happy Monday morning to you. Here at Show Your Scars, we like to think of Mondays a little bit differently. It's the start of a new week. You can start fresh. You can go attack your goals. You can make new goals. You can write things down and feel accomplished with those little small wins. But here, we don't think of Mondays as a start to the week. We think of the excitement that the start to the week brings because we know we have so much to accomplish. And we're going to do that. We're going to go and get after this week. It's the last week of March. We have to, right? I wanted to start this week off with an interview I just had with Tevin Lucas. Tevin and I um, grew up very close to each other and recently um, we talk about how we kind of got connected and uh, how our, our my mom really was the big connecting force in getting us to talk to one another. But Tevin intrigued me right away and I wanted to know more about his story and we reconnected here a few months later and it's a really interesting story that Tevin has to share. His journey in life has not been without challenges, it hasn't been without struggle, but it has been so filled with faith, so much trust in God and God's plan for him and Tevin definitely shows that when, when he's talking to me and telling his story. I talked to Tevin about where he grew up, about some of the challenges in his life as a young boy, and we talk about really good dive deep into his ACL injury that he had in college that left him wheelchair bound for over a year. The challenges that that brought mentally and physically and Tevin's attitude throughout all of it, his faith in knowing that he was going to be okay and to get through this and also the moments where he had doubt and fear and how trusting his path but also building a community around him really helped him get through that he relied so heavily on the people that surrounded him and the faith that he had in God and his plan. I talked to Tevin not only about his injury but about the mental side of things and how as a male and as a male athlete and as an injured male athlete there are certain struggles that you go through and I can't really understand but I want to know more about he really breaks it down this idea of vulnerability and this idea of expressing your emotions and it's really interesting and I thank Tevin for his insight on that We finally talk about what Tevin used his injury to do now and how he's helping so many other people. It's a really powerful interview and Tevin was nice enough to sit down with me for about an hour and just kind of dive deep into so many different topics. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Here he is, Tevin Lucas. Welcome to the podcast, Tevin. I'm excited to talk about you. I think I think we have to set everybody straight a little bit, though, and tell them about how this relationship between you and me got started, because <laughs> I think it's funny. Like, our, our parents are sometimes, like, our biggest advocates, and sometimes when we don't speak up for ourselves, they will, and I, my mom met you 
when she was out shopping and just like started chatting with you and got your email. And um, it's funny that that we finally connected after um, the the random run-in at Nordstrom Rack. So I love that I get to talk to you and I got to give credit to my mom, you know, for, for seeking you out. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's funny how life works. It is. Um, So at that time you were, you're living in Colorado, but now you are not, you're on the East coast, correct? Yes, ma'am. So I live in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, been living here for about a year now. So starting to get settled and starting to yeah, enjoy the way of life out here. Is the ma'am something that came when you moved to the South or was that always is that how you grew up? It, it is something ma'am. that when I moved <laughs> to the South, it definitely is. It's, it's, it's the good. culture out here and everybody's yes ma'am yes sir yeah it's and nice so though i just kind of picked it up i mean it makes me feel old when it you is. say that but it's still nice <laughs> um, <laughs> i'll say yes miss from now yeah, on yeah okay okay um so you have a really cool story and i am excited for you to share it with everybody but i think we should go back a little bit and kind of tell people like how you grew up and what maybe um what were some like big influencing factors of your youth like um what was your family like and what was the you know you grew up playing sports and like very active in sports and how did that come to be yeah so um I actually grew up on the west coast um just south of Seattle Washington and grew up out there with an older brother two little sisters an awesome mom and awesome dad um and at a very young age, got plugged into sports. My dad um, was a big athlete, and so me and my brother both had been playing sports since we were since we could walk. And so uh, that was kind of just a way of life. And um, grew up a pretty normal life. Um, my dad uh, worked an awesome job, and then my mom uh, was a stay-at-home mom, just taking care of all four kids and traveling, playing sports on the weekends. And that was for, for the first few years of my life until I was about um, 10 or 11. And my life kind of changed a lot at that point. And um, my dad got sick um, with a very terminal illness that left him in and out of the hospital for many years. And my mom had to start working. And sports was kind of my everything. It was the thing that I would turn to. It was the thing that I was known for. Um, and it was kind of where I had that relief of you know, kind of a getaway from everything going on at home with my family and something that I could place my identity in that I thought was so stable in sports so that people didn't have to know what was going on at home or know what was going on in my family. Um, And so that was, you know, from the point that I was like 10 or 11 all the way up through high school um, and ended up having an amazing opportunity, me and my brother both, um, got blessed with an opportunity to go to Bellarmine Prep, which was a big prep school who had um, dominant sports teams, football, basketball, baseball, all of those Uh um, things. And so um, we went and we played there, um, and that was my freshman year of high school and then ended up moving to Colorado my sophomore year of high school, which um, at first I didn't want to do it, and I hated it, but it ended up being an amazing thing. And meeting amazing people and having even more opportunities um, in the sports world with football and basketball 
uh, moving forward. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's a good, um, condensed condensed version of it because I read through your you have a, a great website and we'll get into more about what you're doing now and um but your your story and your your testimony to where you've gotten to where you're at now I mean it was filled with some some tough times not only um with you but with your family as well and um, you talk about how it's a very common thing for people especially athletes to we just dive into our sport and we try to find our identity in that. And that can be a very dangerous thing, especially when you're hit with something difficult or an injury. Yeah. Um, did you find that, um, cause you had injuries even in high school, you, I read you had a concussion. I know your brother suffer also suffered from concussions and having, um, the, those injuries in high school when you are searching for identity, right? So much that then that big part of what you think is your, your real identity, which isn't like we shouldn't ever identify with just being an athlete because we're so much more than that. Um, yeah. How did you, do you remember how you dealt with that or could you, did you really have the tools to deal with that at the time? Um, I, I don't think I really had the tools at the time to deal with that. I know, um, I had witnessed it firsthand with my brother who, um, a lot of people see in our family that, you know, I was the athlete. I got to play, um, in college and everything, but my brother was the real, the real superstar athlete in the family. He's six, eight, amazing basketball player, mm-hmm. um, and had pretty much his whole life in front of him in that aspect of, you know, playing college and playing professional, um, and he had suffered a lot of concussions to the point where he wasn't even able to go to school anymore. Um, and he still suffers with, you know, post-concussion syndrome and some brain damage from that. And so I witnessed that firsthand, um, Mm -hmm. as a freshman and as a sophomore. And, um, I I never thought that it would happen to me and I never thought really, you know, what would I do if this did happen? And I kind of got a little glimpse of it at the end of my freshman year where I'd suffered a concussion and um, ended up out of school for for about a month and a half. It was got elbowed right in the eye socket. And oh. so um, it was kind of like a straight, straight shot, no protection Yeah. Um, with the skull and everything. And so it was, it was you know, it, it kind of caught me off guard and I don't think I really had what I needed to deal with that injury and, to cope with not being able to play and not being around people and not being with school. And that's when, um, a lot of things started changing in my life and, um, got diagnosed with clinical depression and, um, was just struggling a lot with depression and thoughts of suicide and, um, really losing, you know, thinking of that that was my full identity, that it was gone. And that if I didn't have that anymore, there was nothing left to live for. And, Right. Um, and so that was my first kind of glimpse at an injury that kind of yeah. caught me off guard. And I ended up having another one my junior year with a um, back and spine injury um, that I was able to recover from and kind of just pushed me um, to get back out there. It wasn't I don't I don't think I dealt with it the same way because I had I would say more people around me and 
um, kind of saw like a brighter day from it uh-huh. that, you know, Hey, I can just push myself. I can get back out there. So it's an injury that I can recover from and play again. Yeah. Where with some concussions, you're not sure. Um, and then an injury that I had on later on in life, but, um, well, I yeah, think there's definitely. a difference in injuries that, um, you know, you can have something where you do, like, it doesn't challenge you mentally, like a concussion can, I mean, severely challenge mm-hmm. you mentally, because you can't even function sometimes uh, like a, a normal human being, you have to stay in bed, you don't, you're not able to even have conversations or read a book or, you know, so many things like that, yeah. or, you know, bigger injuries, like, um, like, what we both had as an ACL injury and how that really challenges you mentally, but other things, other injuries can't. So, um, and it, you know, it is too who you surround yourself with sometimes too, to help you get through some of those tough times. So it's, it is very interesting. Um, cause you mentioned the, you know, depression thoughts, thoughts of suicide. And I like, I had the same thing when I was going through my last ACL is, this feeling of, you know, and I, I didn't think I was so like wrapped up in who I was as a soccer player until I thought like, well, what's it worth? Like, what's my life worth if I can't be a soccer player? And I remember those thoughts and I remember how deep and dark they were and thinking like, is this life really worth it? And thinking back, I'm like, wow, like you were so fixed, Jordan, on this idea of, um, you know, this idol of what soccer was and, and it wasn't, it's never going to fulfill you like it, you thought it would because it's, you know, you can't really grasp it. It's not like something you can hold on to. It's a sport. It's a game. Like there's going to be highs and lows because that's what games are. So, um, I can totally relate to that. And I think, I think a lot of people can do remember any specific, um, things that you did in those moments in that, in that, time that you were you were depressed and you were having these thoughts any thoughts that helped you get back out of that or um what you did to help you get back in a space where you felt like you were worth it and you this life was worth it um after that that injury and when I was going through that time of um depression and struggling with those thoughts um my family ended up moving to Colorado and um, that was a, a big reason I didn't really want to go. I was just like, you know, I, I feel like my life's here and we're going to pick it up and move in the midst of all of this going on. And mm-hmm. um, there was a family that really uh, that helped. Um, and I would say even in in a bigger part, like saved my life. Um, we met this family, this battle for family when we moved to Colorado and they um, kind of just took me in under their wing and they had a son that was a year younger than me and me and him became best friends um, and just had a community, a loving community and got plugged in to um, Red Rocks Church mm-hmm. in Colorado, just an amazing church and an amazing youth group of um, pastors that cared for me and really just, you know, explained to me that my life was so much more than just an athlete and just another kid that you know that there was a God and that loved me that cared for me that knew me um and that Jesus sacrificed you know his life on the cross for me not for my sports not for um what I've done or 
who I've been, but for who I really am, um, no matter what. Uh And that, um, is really what, you know, changed and saved my life at that time. And, um, yeah, I'm so thankful for them and for that church. And, um, that was, I think the biggest thing for me to get past those thoughts, past, you know, um, I wouldn't even say past that season of life because it's, it's something that, you know, comes up and it's a battle. But yeah. um, definitely getting plugged into a church and having that community of loving people and caring people. Right. And it's, I think uh, what you were just saying, you know, those things, how you were are like, I don't want to move. I don't want this. Like the things in our life that seem to be... Um, we think that they are going to be the worst things for us sometimes turn out to be some of the best things for us. And, um, what you were kind of explaining with not only the move and finding this family, but finding, you know, your, your faith and your true identity and your worth and, um, your eternity. That's, you know, that you, I, I I think you won in the move that you (laughs) tried to resist so hard, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so things went, um, you moved to Colorado, you went to Lakewood High School, I went to Green Mountain, so um, I'll move past that, it's okay, we were close enough, um, and then you, you, after high school, you went and played um, collegiately, do you remember that, was that something that you always dreamed of, you always wanted to do, and to like see it become a reality, was it kind of like the moment where you're like, wow, I can't believe this is actually happening? Yeah, um, this, and I don't want to sound like cocky in this, but it was always something that I knew that I would be able to do. Yeah. Um, ever since freshman year of high school, the prep school that we went to, um, really just knew that like, hey, like, you know, you can play at that level, um, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be like a huge surprise when you get there. But my my dream and my goal wasn't just to play collegiately; that was kind of just a stepping stone. Um, to play professionally and the craziest part about that is I ended up playing football in college but basketball was um, my main sport and the sport that most people said that I was best at and I just ended up having an ankle injury at the end of my senior year um, for football that kept me um, from playing basketball my senior year of high school and so instead of you know taking um, some of the basketball scholarships and pursuing that path. Um, I had some football scholarships um, that I was able to take and mm-hmm. um, decided to do that. So it was a blessing to, you know, it's, it's always a blessing to be able to play sports at any level mm-hmm. um, and to never take that for granted. But especially in college when you're getting, you're getting school paid for and it's something that, you know, not many kids have the opportunity to do. It was it was awesome. You're at college and you, you know, the injuries kind of still, still happen. What college did you go to again? Remind me. Uh, I ended up going my freshman year to Augustana University Okay. Um, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Oh, burr. A little yeah, different. It was, it was real cold. A little different than where you are now. <laughs> um, exactly. And you, were you at... Augustana when um you had your ACL injury I was so I uh I had just made the decision um 
winter break of freshman year. I was miserable there. It was too cold. Yeah, I would um, think so. Gosh, burr. <laughs> yeah. I knew uh, going into that school, um, I had some bigger Division One offers my junior year that I ended up losing because of the spine injury that I had. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I would be able to transfer to those schools after um, my freshman year because I had talked to with some of those coaches and um, been in touch with them. And so um, winter break freshman year, you know, made the decision that I was going to transfer, but kind of, I, I was thinking about I kind of just lost myself in like the fame and the glory of football Mm. and um, I I was thinking about transferring to a smaller school and um, going to pursue ministry um, because that was on that was a big thing on my heart Mm -hmm. and so I had made that decision to transfer and then um, at a a big workout um, with some people and an NFL scout happened to be there and um, just said, you know, like, hey, you have a great opportunity of playing professional football. And so that kind of just changed my mind back to, you know, make that decision to transfer to a bigger school. And so that winter break, I made the decision to transfer um, to a big D1 school and play out in San Diego. And then while I was still working out, finishing out my spring semester at Augustana is when I had the ACL injury. That just the the timing of everything is so it, it's just so unique, right? And so purposeful. It's painful at the moment, uh, but um, so it was your spring workouts, and you know what happened? Was it a contact injury? Was it something um, that you did you feel? I just felt weird every time I tore my ACL. Did, was it the day different for you at all? Like, was there anything? Or was it just a normal day and that just ended poorly? Um, it was it was a normal day, um, but I, I did have I don't know why, but that morning um, when I woke up, I had I had already made the decision to transfer, and I was just praying and um, just asking God, like, hey, if there's a different plan, like, show me. Wow. Like, make it evident because I was pretty hard-headed kid you know like Mm -hmm. there had been some things that I felt like I was supposed to do but I just never did them and so I was just praying that that morning and I remember praying it um and sometimes like it would pop into my head like oh man I regret praying that prayer um but God you know he showed me um through that and um and I, I think what you know maybe the devil wanted to use for bad he knew that he would use for good and so um, it was it was that type of day, and it was a non-contact injury, and I was just running a normal route, something that I've done, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times, running towards the sideline, and I jumped up to catch the ball, and I came down, and I made a cut to stay in bounds, mm. and uh, my heel got stuck in the turf, and my knee hyperextended while twisting, and everything just kind of tore um, and dislocated, and my leg was just kind of dangling there. Mm. Um, and the most excruciating pain that I've Ugh. ever felt or imagined. Right. Because yours, um, you know, a lot of the times with just an ACL tear, it's not that painful. But yours was much more than that. It was LCL as well. And was there medial, mm-hmm. was there meniscus damage? Yeah. So I tore um, 
ACL, LCL, meniscus, and then um, the perineal nerve that runs mm. through the LCL. Wow. Um, so that's a lot of where the pain was coming from is from, from that nerve tear. I cannot imagine what that felt like. What was the, um, I mean, right away, did you think about the prayer? Did you think like, okay, I hear you. Or was it just like, um, I can't believe I'm in this much pain right now. I think I, I was just focused on the pain. Um, yeah. and just the thought, like I knew, um, right when it happened I knew it wasn't a normal injury right um, because my trainers they were there and they ran over and the team doctor was there and he ran over um, and they were scared they were kind of freaking out because of how gruesome it was mm-hmm. um, and how I had lost complete feeling in my entire leg like oh. I felt the pain but I had no movement I had no response to touch wow. um and they were they were pretty worried and so uh it was more of the thought of wow this is painful but it's also really scary like yeah. what what happened yeah um and what's the process like that with when you have a nerve damage do they have to do surgery right away do they have like how quickly was the turnaround because that seems like something that they probably would want to get and and how do you repair a nerve um, so if you completely sever and completely like cut the nerve, they can repair that and pull it back together. But I had just partly, um, tore it, okay. which is even worse because there's no, there's nothing they can do for it. Um, and so it just has to heal on its own and the nerve, your nerves are the slowest healing part of the human body. Yeah. They and heal so there's, like there's, a, a millimeter, uh, um, year or something, right? It's like yeah, a ridiculously it's, it's slow amount. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so there was no immediate nerve surgery. Um, they did the MRI. And once they found out that the ACL and the LCL were torn, um, the LCL and the ACL, most surgeons can't do um, together. You have to do the LCL repair, wait six months and do the ACL repair oh, wow. after that. Um, mm-hmm. but the, um, Olympic ski team doctor in Vail, Colorado, luckily not too far from where my family was living, um, was good friends with our team doctor. And so he called him and he's one of, there's two, I think two or three surgeons that can do the ACL LCL at the same time. And I ended up getting a spot with him. And so they sent me out to, uh, Vail to get that surgery done. Yeah. Um, and and that was a, a few weeks after the injury. And are you in, I mean, you, you talk about the pain, like, are you, is it consistent pain throughout this or is that now just like you're more, you, you can't feel your, the lower half of your leg. So you're just in like this constant state of worry. Um, it was very consistent pain and <sighs> was on a lot of pain pills, um, for, like probably like the first two or three weeks after the injury wow um yeah it was it was not pretty not fun Mm -hmm. Um, it's just consistent pain yeah was it a Stedman Hawken doctor that did it or what what's the office in Vail it was yeah Stedman Stedman, yeah yeah um so you get surgery there did you go straight home after surgery did you stay in Vail what was 
Because it's not that far. It's an hour and a half, two hours away from probably where your family lived, right? Yeah. So um, I, I ended up getting up there. Um, they did, like, the prep stuff for the surgery, and they ran some tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ended up finding out that there was a blood clot oh, um, from the from the injury. So kind of just, you know, another thing getting worse. Seriously, And that right? they would have to um, go in and do surgery to put um, an IVC filter in my heart before they could go on with the knee surgery so they did that surgery one the next day and then the day after that um they went on with the knee surgery and i was there for i want probably 24 hours Mm -hmm. under their watch and then they sent me um home back to um denver Mm -hmm. and for a for a normal person an acl injury that's more than enough time but yours was such a significant surgery and such significant damage that um it didn't end there did it yeah it it sure didn't um i was home for probably about 12 hours and um my knee started swelling up and all the blood started to rush to my knee um and I started passing out and I was like mm-hmm. in and out of consciousness every 30 seconds. And, um, my mom and brother rushed me to the ER and I get there and we find out, um, that I had had a hematoma, um, and compartment syndrome in my leg, which I don't really know the scientific facts on it, but right. the swelling had just got so bad that it started to kill, uh, my leg and the muscles in my leg. Oh and, my um, and the, I needed, five blood transfusion to keep enough blood going to my heart oh my um, to stay alive at that moment. And so rush to the ER and all of that goes on. Um, and then I'm, I'm conscious and I'm sitting there um, in a hospital room, just me and my mom at this point. And the surgeon comes in um, and he says, you know, we need to, we need to go into surgery right now to see if there's any chance that we could save the leg. Um, because at this point, really, the only option um, was amputation. Wow. And so that was really the only thing going through my mind. But um, how, do you, how do you cope up. with that? Like, how do you digest that the doctor is coming in and, like, potentially saying, like, you're, you're going to lose your leg? Um, I, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't really cope, have much time to cope with it. I just yeah. remember breaking down, um, hysterically bawling, and my mom hysterically bawling, and um, them were pushing me out of the hospital room to go right into surgery. Yeah. yeah. And you know, moments later, I'm I'm out, Under, and I yeah. don't really, you know, you don't know what's going on, and wow, um, yeah. And so I, I've talked to my mom about it, and I feel. Um, I felt more pain for my mom yeah, because she, sure. you know, she was conscious. She had to see it. She had to, uh-huh. you know, Sit she, there she had to cope with it. I had to, yeah, I had to go to sleep and get surgery done on me. She had to sit there and wait. Mm. Gosh, that's hard for me mm-hmm. to hear. Like, because I think one of the hardest things about going through injuries is not like I, for me, I always felt like I could handle it. But I, like, oh, gosh, still thinking about it. I'm, like, I feel so bad for my family who had to, like, go through that time and time again, you know? Yeah. Like, makes me emotional. Definitely. Um, Definitely. So you go into surgery thinking that, okay, I might come out of this without my leg. Um, 
but by some miracle that did not happen. Yeah. So, uh, I woke up, um, and my leg was still there. It wasn't a pretty sight. Yeah. They had done a fasciotomy, which, um, they pretty much cut about two feet, um, into my, like sliced a a good piece about two feet long, um, down my leg and pretty much just left my leg open and would come in and do surgery on it, um, day to day, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, try to save everything. Um, and so it was about two, two weeks just laying in a hospital bed of that. Um, just hoping that, you know, one day that my leg would, you know, for sure be there that they would say, yeah, it's safe. Like this is, this is your leg. It's going to stay. And so about two weeks of that. Okay, so what are you doing in those two weeks? Like, cause, cause you can't just be like lying there thinking about it the whole time. Are you on so much pain killers that like you are just sleeping, or like were you able to? I I just think that like what people choose to do in those moments, like, are you reading? Are you latching on to quotes or verses, or um, are people visiting you? Like, what was your? What were you? what was getting you through those, those two weeks? So that's a long time lying in a hospital bed. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest thing for me, um, was, you know, I, I did, you know, decide to read a good bit. Um, but the community that mm-hmm. I created at Red Rocks church and, mm-hmm. um, and those people really, uh, were huge. They would, you know, come in and just encourage me and, you know, reassure me that God had a plan and, and read scripture to me and spend time with me. And, um, it was, it was a huge thing. And they, they really spoke into me what I couldn't see at the time. I remember, um, Chad Brugman, the pastor of Red Rock coming in and, Uh um, and he said these exact words, he said, like your dream might be over and you might not be able to play football again, but now you have a destiny a destiny that God has a plan for you. Right. Um, And that really just spoke to me and really encouraged me and made me realize, you know, back to that prayer that I was praying, like, God, like, if this isn't your plan for me, show me something else. Um, And in that moment, I just realized that, you know, he was doing something more for me that um, what I thought was my everything in football and my identity in football and everything in that was gone in a heartbeat. And I thought everything was gone, but in that moment, God became my everything. Um, and truly believing that and truly making that decision to live for him and to stop living for myself and to stop living for my fame, um, but to live for his name and for his glory. Mm-hmm. Um, and te- really yeah. what happened in that moment. And it's, cool Tevin to look at like when you talk about all the little things like how that was the moment but if you look back like the you pray that prayer before training and then that happens your doctor knows someone in Vail so you're at home so your surgery is at home so you're at a hospital at home where that community can surround you like gosh it's it is like so predetermined like your path and I probably all just hit you in that moment when, when Chad was saying that to you. Yeah, it really did. God's 
he's always in control. Right. He's got it all planned out. Yeah. Um, did you have a, a, a verse or something that you latched onto that gave you that hope or, um, how, how do you describe the hope that you had in those moments of, you know, people would probably come in and think like, for you know think gosh how is he getting through this like what what is it that you latched on to like how could you explain your hope to other people um kind of in that moment i i i think the hope was still kind of like far out and something that was hard for me to grasp but i remember reading proverbs 16 1 through 3 um and for probably like a year after that surgery, this was a verse that really stood out to me um, in that time that I would later on have the opportunity to share with others and to teach on. And, um, and it, in Proverbs 16, one through three, it says the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his spirit. Mm. And then this one really hit verse three, commit, your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And growing up in church and um, I had heard, you know, commit to the Lord, whatever you do and your, you know, yeah. and, and he'll show you your plans. And it was something I always knew that I needed to do, but it was no, never something I took the steps to do. I never, you know, fully committed to the Lord, my life and, you know, everything that I was doing, it was more about me and more about what I wanted in my dreams. Um, and so that verse really stood out to me and showed me that, you know, no, like commit to the Lord, not commit to yourself, not commit to your dreams, commit to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those moments, it's something that I decided to do and um, am reminded by every day to continue to do, um, to commit to him. That's amazing. I love that. I love, um, I think that there's like, verses that speak to each people, like people's lives in different ways. And, um, that that's kind of your, your calling verse. Right. Um, and so you're, so you were in the hospital, you were there for two weeks, kind of, um, let's go through what happened after that. Um, the recovery clearly from that is not an easy thing to go through. Uh, what was the process like after those two weeks in the hospital? Um, so after the two weeks in the hospital, got to go home, um, was on bed rest for about a month, um, just laying in bed, not really able to do anything, and then um, was in a wheelchair for about another six months after that. Um, and this whole time um, was paralyzed from the knee down and my right leg, no movement, no feeling, nothing. Um, and those, you know, that, that month, of being on bed rest and having, I needed somebody there with mm-hmm. me full time yeah. for care. Um, that community, again, friends, family, you know, taking turns of coming and spending time with me, um, and just pouring into me and loving on me. And then, um, the months afterwards, um, in the wheelchair, my brother, um, was just such a big help and kind of my hero in that moment. He would, you know, come pick me up, put me in my wheelchair, mm-hmm. um, push me around. He would go golfing and he would put me in the golf cart and drive me around just so that I didn't have to be alone. Yeah. And, uh, he would, um, he took me, I remember the, 
first time um, there was Red Rocks youth and then they have a young adults which is 18 to 20 uh, 18 to 30 mm-hmm. that I had never been before because I had been at off at college and I remember he he was like no like you're gonna come with me I was like, no it's gonna be weird like I'm in a wheelchair I don't really want to have to deal with all these people and he was like no you're gonna come and um, pick me up and he put me in the wheelchair and um, took me He's like, you're going, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, he rolls me in. And these are, there's a lot of people that I had known from being at the church. Right. Um, But I, I, you know, I had like this insecurity of, you know, I'm not, you know, the Tevin that they know. I'm, you know, the crippled Tevin, the one that's in a wheelchair. Um, I don't want people to feel sorry for me, but I, he rolled me in there and I just, I knew at that moment, like, that I was at home, that like, these were the people that were going to love me, that were going to, um, this was a community that I needed for these, you know, upcoming months and years of recovering from an injury of where, you know, my, my teammates aren't going to be there for me anymore. I don't have that camaraderie of a team. I don't have the hope of playing football anymore. Um, but you know, I have, this this group of people that mm-hmm. no matter where I was at or what I was doing or who I was, they, you know, I, I get rolled in there and they say, welcome home. Right. And so it was huge. I always say, but you have to build your own team whenever you're going through something difficult, because I think as athletes, like that's where we thrive is in, in these team environments. Right. And it's not a team in traditional sense, but it is like these, your team or your people that support you that have the same goal as you that wants you to get and, and be the best that you can be. And that's, you knew, you knew that that's, that was your team. That was a big part of your team and to be there really helped you get to, you yeah. know, get to that full, the fullest healing that you could. So, um, so you're in a wheelchair for six months. Um, mm-hmm. what are doctors telling you? You're never going to walk again. Or are they like, do you believe them when they're telling you any anything, or are you just so confident in that that there's going to be something miraculous happening here? Um, they told me that you know I, I probably would never be able to walk under my own power again. That I would have um, an AFO, like a prosthetic brace, mm-hmm. um, that would you know help me walk. That it would allow me to you know get around um, with a limp, but not. Um, but not having to be in a wheelchair on crutches. And um, it was a long process of learning how to walk again um, with this brace on and going through, I mean, you know, the the rehab, the the vigors of rehab and um, every day of learning how to walk again and what that's going to be like. And for me, um, I had to learn, I mean, I had been, pretty much out of commission to where my muscles were so deteriorated and I was I was um ended up losing about 55 pounds and my from the compartment syndrome my muscles were just gone in my right leg and so it was really like the atrophy of the injury and learning how to walk again with that and with the brace it was a long process Mm -hmm. and um ended up walking with that AFO and the brace for about a year and a half um, until I I finally started to get like a little twitch in my foot to where I, 
you know, kind of just taught myself and pushed myself to learn how to walk without the AFO and use this twitch at the right time so that I could take a step. Um, and it was, it was a long process, but finally got there and got out of that AFO and Mm -hmm. was able to just kind of push myself to different limits that the doctor said I would never be able to do. I'd never be able to run. I would never be able to hike. I would never be able to do all of these things. And, um, I just never wanted to believe them and just knew that it was going to be a story of overcoming, Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that, you know, I feel like my whole life had been with um, my family and overcoming the adversity that came with all of that and Mm -hmm. overcoming the injuries before. Um, but instead of my goal being, you know, most people, most athletes goals when they're injured are okay to get back to playing my sport. Um, to get back in shape, to do this. My goal was, you know, to be able to walk again, um, to be able to run again, to be able to, you know, one day play and throw football and run around with my kids. It wasn't um, ever to be able to play football again because I knew that was such a long shot and um, not, you know, something that was even like a realistic goal to push towards in that moment. Mm-hmm. But to learn how to walk again under my own power was my biggest goal. Wow. And that's an amazing, like, inspiring accomplishment that you're there, that you're running. Um, you know, I have to do my, like, my personal stalking before I do my interviews. And I, I'm looking <laughs> over your Twitter and, like, you climbed a 14er a year and a half after all of this. Like, I did. Are, like that's a, I mean, do you, what, what's the, what was the emotion that hit you when you're at the top of that mountain? Was it just like overwhelming gratitude or were there tears? I think we need to talk about tears too, because like you can't go through this without really yeah. feeling your emotions. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of tears. I mean, I, I get emotional thinking about it now. Um, it was, you know, my brother's a big hiker and he, he had pushed me before in that wheelchair and he um, pushed me again. He said, do you think you can hike? I said, I think I can. He said, well, he's like, I think you could hike this 14er with us. And, uh, you know, doctors saying that I wouldn't be able to hike, um, nonetheless, hike a 14,000 foot mountain. Um, it was, it was tough. It was yeah. a lot. I, I ended up, and I mean, you don't see this too much on the, you know, just the tweet or the story, but I was, um, passing out, um, from exhaustion and, you know, having to be pushed to the breaking point, um, of, you know, crying tears while I'm walking. I wish I could say it wasn't painful. Um, but it, it hurt and it, it was a battle to get to the very top. And my brother just, you know, he said, Hey, if you, if you want to turn around, you can, but I think you can make it. And, uh, ended up making it to the top and um it was it was special it was you know it it really showed me that God is bigger than the mountains that we face Mm um you know literally and figuratively Mm -hmm. that you know that we that I could overcome and a lot of just very emotional um crying tears and yeah I mean this whole journey I I can't even explain the amount of times where I was just bawling my eyes out, um, battling, crying yeah. to my my friends, crying to my parents, 
just it's it's something that you can't hold the emotions in on because it'll just tear you apart you have to express those emotions and um when i was at the top i expressed a lot of those emotions yeah um of just wow like thank you for just allowing me to be where i am but also just the pain that you know people don't see all yeah, the time um sure. that we hide a lot that um that you don't see you know social media posts about the dark nights when you're crying in your room because you feel like there's you know you know that there's hope but you're wondering where it is or yeah um yeah it's it's a it was an emotional journey for sure it still is it's still it's still a very emotional journey yeah well that made me cry um it's just i think that the the most one of the most important things that people learn through tough situations is like um you know as athletes and i think as males especially in you know correct me if i'm wrong is like we're just taught to be tough and like out you know, be stronger in situations and not cry and not show emotions. But like, that's not life. Like in order to like really heal and to get through life and to form relationships and to really uh, live a a life worth living, like you have to be able to express those emotions. And how do you, you know, you, you just talk about that was such a big healing part for you, but it's not only those those moments when you are seen crying and you are seeing, seen being emotional, but it's the moments where you're by yourself emotional. Like how do you um, teach that now to young athletes, young um, students who, you know, may not understand that that is uh, such a key part in life is not to always make life look perfect, not to make it look like it's okay. That it's, it's actually about feeling it and, and working through those feelings because if you don't, it's just going to show up in a different way. Yeah. Um, my, uh, I ended up starting a nonprofit called the hope and love, um, where we, we talk to thousands of kids, um, tens of thousands of kids every year on, um, the hope for their life and that they are loved, um, and the efforts of suicide prevention and bullying. Um, but also just, letting kids know and we do this through sharing our own stories of the hurt that we've been through and the things that we've felt um going through these stages of life and the trials and the tribulations and the emotions that come with it Mm -hmm. and i think one of the big things that we explain and it's been so big for me is that you can't find complete healing if you're hiding those emotions right Um, And so you have to express those emotions. You have to be willing to, you know, break down sometimes. You have to realize that you're not meant to be strong enough to handle it on your own. Um, And I think as men, that's such a big thing that we're taught is like, no, hide your emotions. You're not supposed to cry. You're a a guy. You're a man. You're an athlete. Um, And that's just a lie from the pit of hell that we as men – have those emotions and if we just hide them they're going to come out in different ways that are way worse and just because you cry doesn't mean that you're weak just because um you're going through these things and you have an emotional um time in your life doesn't mean that you're less of a man 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of instances, I would say you're more of a man because you're not scared. You're not scared to admit what you're going through. You're not scared to admit the emotional pain that you're feeling. Um, you're not hiding it. Um, and so that's just such a big thing that we teach because if you, you can't heal unless you've shared these emotions, but also it's a healing process for others yeah. when you're willing to open up about the 100%. things that you're going through and the emotions because we live in a world where on social media we see the perfectness, the the things that people want us to see, which are all the good things. And um, we live in this world where we think we're the only ones that have pain because we're, we only see our pain. We only feel our pain. And what other people show are the good parts of their life. But the truth is everybody's going through something. Everybody has a pain that they're battling with. Uh that they're struggling with and if we open up about the emotions and the pain that we feel the things that we've gone through or are going through it helps others feel more human and heal from their pain Um, I know that's such a big thing um, for the hope and love with what we do I share my story more in depth about going struggling with suicide feeling hopeless um, and kids that are feeling these same things in the moment are willing to open up to us and we're able to get them plugged in with counselors. We're able to get them the help that's needed because they realize that there are other people going through this pain and that they're not alone. And that's such a big thing. Like if you're struggling um, with an injury, if you're struggling emotionally, if you're struggling um, with depression, anxiety, whatever you're struggling with, like, that's the biggest thing I want you to know is that you are not alone. No matter how lonely you feel, no matter how much the world will make you seem like you're alone in that, you're not alone. And I promise that. Yeah. Those are, I mean, that was what you just said right there is so powerful and so true. You're not alone. And, and there's so much strength. It seems counterintuitive to our simple human minds, but there's so much strength in being vulnerable that until you're vulnerable, it's really hard to even connect with other people because we're wearing these masks. We have this facade of being a person that we think other people want us to be when really they just like people connect with people who are themselves. Um, And you've probably found that I've found that in life as I've found more and more of who I really am. My relationships have not grown, um, you know, because I've been vulnerable, they've grown so much more. And you talk about the rich, the rich relationships that you have now, because you did wheel yourself, you know, your brother did wheel you in there and you're in a state of vulnerability, but you realize that being vulnerable was okay. And, 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 that actually allowed you to find strength, not only from yourself, but from others, from God, from what you needed in those moments. That vulnerability is so key in, in finding strength. Definitely. That's spot on. I couldn't say it better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, I mean, this has been so great to talk to you. It's, um, it's, cool to see what you're doing Tevin and I feel very like honored to be able to share your story because I think in some ways it's very you know in 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 various ways our stories are similar in the fact that 
um, it's not about us. If we can help other people not have to deal with the things that we dealt with and um, to give them the hope, to give them, you know, the ability to see that there is a future, that they're going to get through what they can by, um, you know, latching onto other people and finding that they're there is more to just this, that their journey has a meaning. Um, it's cool to hear how you're doing that because I feel like, you know, when when something bad happens to you, it's not always just for you, right? The way you react, the way re- you respond to it is often um, inspirational to so many other people. And you are doing just that, man. You are inspiring so many to, um, you know, not only find Christ, which I know is number one, really, you know, that's what, what we're here to do, but for others to realize that, um, they too can get through hard things. Definitely. Thank you. Yes. I'm glad that I was able to come on. I think what you're doing is amazing. And I know how big of an impact it would have had on me if I was able to, you know, hear other people's stories when I was going through, um, what I was going through. And Mm -hmm. so, I love love what you're doing with the the podcast and the ACL club. I think it's truly amazing and inspiring. Thank you. Um, and thanks for being so honest and, and sharing what you feel and um, what you felt through this this journey. We're so happy that you are you know doing so many things that you love and inspiring so many people. Um, where can they follow? Where can people follow you if they want to keep in touch with um, the hope and love and with you? Um, yeah, on. I think Instagram's probably the best mm-hmm. way or Facebook. Um, Instagram, um, I think my at name is T1 Lucas. Um, but if you just type in Tevin Lucas, it should come up. Um, and then the hope and love. Um, and we got a lot of stuff going on here in the next um, couple couple weeks with the hope and love. And awesome. um, I'd love if anybody wants to, you know, follow us with that or even get involved um with that that would be that would be awesome so yeah i think if you just type in tevin lucas or the hope and love great um, you can find us awesome awesome yeah and hit him up let him know what you think of um the podcast of his story if you have any questions i'm sure tevin would be um more than happy to help and answer anything you guys have so um, again, Tevin, thank you. And what I like to end with is, uh, the podcast is called show your scars and, you know, talking to you about all you've been through, you have, you have a few scars and I just want to know what show your scars means to you. Um, I think show your scars is that, that vulnerability, not only to show your physical scars, um, but show the scars that are, you know, that have haunted you in your life that you've been able to recover from and overcome and be willing to show people where you've come from that, what you've been delivered from, um, whether it be spiritually, mentally, emotionally, or physically, um, with an injury, just be willing to, you know, be open about those things and let your scars heal others. Um, I think that that's what show your scars means to me. That's beautiful, Tevin. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I loved that conversation with Tevin. It's so honest. It's so real. 
and strong. I think that's what stood out to me most, that he dove into those some moments that were really tough and you could tell he was being vulnerable. And I only felt strength in him telling that. And I think he felt that same way. So I hope that encourages all of you that there's going to be challenges and you might be in one right now, but through sharing your story, you're allowing people to come in and help you. And that's not weakness. It's far from that. It is strength. I love when Tevin said, you're not meant to be strong enough to handle it on your own. Wow. What a powerful little quote there from Tevin Lucas. And um, he relied so heavily on the people around him, on his faith that it's so true to him and I think you can hear it in his voice and his recovery and where he is now. I hope you guys got a lot out of this interview and you feel a little bit more able to attack your own injury recovery after hearing these words from Tevin. We're here for you, we are supporting you and giving you stories to know that you can get through difficult things. It's all about your how you respond to it, how you react to it, what your faith is like, what your decision to go through this is going to be like. Are you going to sit and think, woe is me? Or are you going to say, all right, this is happening for a reason. I'm going to choose to grow from this and become a better person. And that's what I hope in the end you're really choosing to do is you have an opportunity to grow and get better at various things in life, whether it be patience, vulnerability, uh, self-care, nutrition, take it for what it is and learn to grow in the midst of struggles. I thank you guys so much for your ears, for your time, and for your reviews. I love hearing what you guys have to say and what you think of the podcast. If you want me to interview somebody, let me know. You can write a review and put the name in there. I'll try to reach out to them and get an interview as soon as I can. Uh, Thank you for this community and for your support of one another. It means a lot. Go out there and show your scars with pride.